0: Question number four, quote, who is Jesus and why is he important? Unquote. McLaren introduces this question with a statement also. He states, quote, Jesus appears to be a victim of identity theft. The versions of Jesus presented by contemporary Christian institutions could hardly be more different from one another. Or from the four portraits of Jesus we find in the Gospels, and although the versions of Jesus typically uh, presented by churches seem to turn more and more people away, interest in and attraction to the Jesus of the Gospels seems to grow and grow. Unquote. He then asks, quote, "What accounts for the differences in understandings of Jesus? Which version? Which versions of Jesus?" are more trustworthy than others. How can we tell why does it matter, unquote? Response number four to question number four is, once again, I am blown away when I listen to these lines of questioning. I am amazed at the level of temerity. But we'll get to that in a minute. First, let's look at the statement that, quote, Jesus appears to be a victim of identity theft, unquote. I'm afraid that I'll have to disagree once again, Brian. Jesus cannot and never will be a victim of anything, much less identity theft. In order to be a victim, one must fall prey to something that he or she was not aware of. Again, we have Jesus, part of the Holy Trinity, being demoted to the ranks of having a human frailty, that of being susceptible to being bamboozled or suckered. That's just not possible. Jesus himself was fully aware that he would be painted in a different light by many false teachers. He told his disciples about it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, when he said, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many" unquote. and again in Matthew chapter 24 verse 23 when he said quote, "then if any man shall say unto you lo here is christ or there believe it not" unquote. Jesus continually warns his disciples about this very thing in Mark chapter 13 verse 6 chapter 13 verse 21 Luke chapter 21, verse 8, as well as John 17, chapter 17, verse 3. You see, Jesus Christ is not a victim. He knew full well that there would be imposters who would try to assimilate his his identity, and he warned his disciples about it quite often. So let's not paint Jesus as a victim. He's simply not, nor could he ever be. If you portray Jesus as a victim, you are purposely painting a picture of him as less than a deity, and he most assuredly possesses all the attributes of deity, according to the Bible. For a minute, I'd like to address McLaren's partial statement that, quote, the versions of Jesus typically presented by churches seem to turn more and more people away, unquote. Now, I'm assuming that Brian has been looking at the demographic numbers that show church attendance at an all-time low. I'm probably going to surprise Mr. McLaren here, but I am going to agree with him on this point, at least partially. I will agree with him that it is obvious that people in general are placing less and less importance on attending church, and that this trend is obvious. One can refer to a myriad of demographic reports, that proclaim different numbers, but the fact is that church attendance is on the decline. Study the numbers for yourself. You'll see that it's true. However, this is the point at where our agreement will end, for McLaren is proposing to us that it is uh, the way in which the church is presenting Christ that is turning people away. I will contend that any church that is presenting Christ in a true gospel manner will not cause people to turn away from church. If a church, any church, is presenting Jesus Christ as he is presented to us in the gospel of Matthew as the Savior Redeemer, Mark as servant, Luke as a man, and John as God People uh, will, will cause people to be drawn to Christ. How could one resist the wonderful grace and love of Jesus Christ? How could anyone who came to understand the power and glory of Jesus Christ as the Son of God not be drawn to him? I will tell you that the reason people are turning away from church, and therefore Jesus Christ, is that churches today have allowed themselves to become infected with these heretical doctrines of devils and they are not teaching people just who Jesus Christ is in a true and biblical manner. Jesus' ministry on earth was relatively short, but highly successful, according to the Bible, and there was a reason for that. The reason was that people were naturally drawn to Christ, and they were drawn to Him because of what He truly was, the glorious Son of God who came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to show them the way to salvation. He cared about them. He loved them. If the church today is not showing the love of Jesus Christ for the lost, then of course they will not attend. They need the truth, and the church needs to start giving it to them. Also, those people who are truly Christian will probably stop attending when they feel that they are not being fed the truth anymore but just some sophisticatedly empty cappuccino-sipping fluff, which has no real message. The only trustworthy account of Jesus is the one found in God's holy word, and it's as simple as that. Any other account is fraudulent and cannot be trusted. McLaren asks, quote, How can we tell? Unquote. Answer? Put your literary degree on the shelf. Stop reading the Bible as some sort of fictional novel or an ordinary library book. Start reading it literally and interpreting it literally as it was meant to be read and interpreted. Stop perverting what God said and just let God say what he said. Question number five. Quote, what is the gospel? Unquote. Once again, Brian starts us out with a statement that begins quote, Some people see the gospel as information on how individuals can avoid hell and go to heaven after death. Some see it as a message of liberation and transformation for select individuals in this life. Some see it as a message of liberation and transformation for all people and all creation. Unquote. He then asks, quote, Who's right? And why is there such a divergence of opinion on such an essential matter? Why does Jesus' gospel of the kingdom of God seem to morph into another, that of justification by faith in other parts of the New Testament? Are the gospels of Jesus and Paul, not to mention the other apostolic writers, different and opposed to one another? Unquote. Response number five. What is the gospel? Well, I can only respond to this query by quoting the Apostle Paul, where he states in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, quote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, unquote. I couldn't have said it any better than Paul did in this verse. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. That means that anyone who believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his deity, in his sacrificial atonement for the world's sin, in his burial after crucifixion, and in his resurrection from the dead, to include his bodily ascension to heaven, to sit at the right hand of God the Father, shall be Saved. Any questions? Oh, that's right. McLaren has some. I must tell you, the reader, that this subject will be addressed comprehensively all throughout this book, so we will just look at the highlight reel for now. McLaren intimates that there is a disparity between the Gospels of uh, the, the Gospel of Christ and the Gospels of the Apostolic Writers, such as Paul, Luke, Mark, Matthew, and Peter, just to name a few. And it is because of this perceived disparity that he has to question which Gospel is correct. This is no surprise in that Mr. McLaren, from the very beginning of his book until the end of it, questions the very inspiration of the Bible. Christians know that the entire Bible, from beginning to end, is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, men wrote it, but God himself inspired them to write it. This is the doctrine of inerrancy and infallibility that is so crucial to Christianity, and a doctrine which McLaren and Warren and so many others are attempting to poison and kill off. They know that if they can entice you to question the very origin of the Bible... That they, can tear the, that they can then tear down the rest of your faith and then lure you into accepting another gospel, which is a lie. The Christian doctrine of inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible can be summed up quite succinctly. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says, quote, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses witnesses to His Majesty. Unquote. Also in Second Peter chapter one verses nineteen through twenty-one, where it says, quote, "We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost this is a clear plain unadulterated statement of the crucial christian doctrine of inspiration inerrancy and infallibility of the bible it states that holy men of god wrote what they were moved or inspired by the holy spirit to write so this argument that there are different gospels and that they are contradictory to one another cannot be true because Second Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21 states that every word of scripture is inspired by God and therefore none of it contains inconsistencies or errors of any kind. Nice try again, New Agers. In conclusion of this chapter... Now, we have examined these first five questions because they are more pointedly doctrinal questions and, as such, are more critical to examine and critique. But remember, McLaren has five more questions that deal not so much with central doctrinal issues, but with social justice issues, which the New Age movement puts at the very top of their priority list for a number of reasons. We will explore those questions why they are being asked. And we will in return question why these social justice issues are so vitally important to the new age movement in chapter six of the Judas epidemic. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a break here from the text and slide in an editor's note, if you will, uh, when I wrote this book, it was uh, because I was at first angered at the temerity uh, that it takes to impugn the character of God. And I became very concerned that the level of deception was increasing. Uh, exponentially at a more rapid rate than, than I could even believe. Uh, and so when I wrote this next chapter, chapter six called uh, entitled the social justice agenda, uh, well, let's put it this way. I was accused of being, um, too harsh. Um, and, you know, I, I take constructive criticism very well. I read through the chapter several times after it was published. And uh, uh, I could see where uh, in some parts of this chapter that, yes, uh, there is some harshness in, in my responses to some of these just totally uh, ridiculous, mundane uh Heretical and apostate questions, um, and so you may detect a little of that in the reading of this next chapter. However, I make no apologies for it. Uh, if I wrote it again, I might be tempted to to uh, temper the harshness. However, I probably would not be able to do so, and I'm being very honest with you. Um, and remember uh you know we are supposed to be like jesus and i told you before i started reading this book to you uh that uh i was going to try and keep love in the front seat driving the words that i penned and uh and i promise you that uh i will continue to to um, treat these subjects in that way as much as possible um uh, so uh, the social justice agenda issues that are coming up here very shortly in this next chapter um uh, may step on some toes it may offend some and so I'm giving you a fair warning um <laughs> uh, it, it it gets uh, th- these are some incendiary things that are being in, in, in trying to they're they're attempting to introduce into into uh, mainstream church doctrine, and we're seeing the the oh the, uh, the culmination of it o- over decades and decades, and actually hundreds of years. Uh, we're now seeing mainline denominations uh, adopting and practicing. Totally, totally non scriptural doctrine, uh, and to meet the social justice needs of our current society, and we are clearly not to do that. We're told that clearly in scripture, and uh, um, I will directly uh, address a lot of these issues. And these are, so this is particularly relevant to current events, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, from this point in the book on forward, uh, we're addressing some current events. Uh, as I read through the text, I'm sure that you will be able to see examples. Some examples will come to mind. You know, you've seen the stories of churches that are now allowing, uh Gay and lesbian pastors, uh, totally unscriptural, allowing female pastors. And I'm sorry, but that's totally unscriptural. Uh, There are so many other things that I could address, but those are just a couple of examples. Now, uh, these things will be addressed in the upcoming chapter and uh, all the way through to the last chapter of this book uh which is really not too far away we're on chapter we're on uh chapter six page 49 um there are 186 chapters to 186 pages in in the book uh a total of 14 chapters so we're almost halfway through uh so bear with me uh hopefully you're enjoying it and getting a blessing from listening to it um uh, for right now I'm going to take a, a brief break. And uh when we come back for our next session, uh, we will begin chapter six of the Judas Epidemic, the social justice agenda. Uh and uh just one more reminder about this. You know, uh I'm I'm doing this audiobook reading uh for you. I'm not doing it for me. Uh I don't I offer the book online, it's it's available anywhere, books are sold but I'm not doing this as an advertisement for the book. Uh, My royalty agreement is so low that I don't really make any kind of money on it. Uh, Pennies, really, to be honest with you. So uh, this is not being done for the money. Uh, This is being done to address some very, very critically important questions uh, with very, very critically truthful answers Um, some of the answers are are very hard to to deal with uh, and uh, uh, these issues are sensitive and uh, so uh, be ready Um, there may be some things that you disagree with me on and that's fine and uh, i like i say i receive criticism very well so uh uh, I will objectively look at all of it if I receive some. Uh, hopefully, it's been a great blessing and a joy for you to read. And hopefully, you're seeing the truth in in the text. Uh, so please, tune in for another episode coming up here shortly. I'm going to take a, about an hour or two break, and then I'm going to continue reading Chapter 6 of the Judas Epidemic, The Social Justice Agenda. Thank you for tuning in, and... We'll see you soon.